spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome back, listeners, to episode... 31, day 31 of our marathon mixtape of movies, of Halloween movies. And big surprise, it's 1978's John Carpenter's Halloween. And I say John Carpenter's Halloween because it really is a piece of authorship. Before we get into Halloween, I just want to say, for the last time, I want to reintroduce myself and my co-hosts. I'm Jamie Lansdowne, hosting 31 for 31. This is the last time, the last time we're doing an episode. I am Cody Mason helping out, and I know we might have some new listeners today because it's the 31st for 31 for 31, but I've got a great surprise for you. There's 30 other episodes that came out this month and you can check them out. And uh, Jamie and I are joined by... And I'm Chris Boniello, and thank you for also having me on the show, Jamie. I know this was your original baby, and Cody and I have interrupted you for the past (laughs) month endlessly. So thank you for bringing us on. This has been a pleasant journey. Right. This is our first record where we're really in the full swing of, uh, you know, <laughs> listening back and you know, we're recording this in October, right before the holiday. And you know what? We've loved it. We've loved how you guys have been engaging on social. We, it's been a great community and we it was the promise of connecting everybody for the Halloween season. I feel like we we, we fulfilled and I'm happy. But man, you know, we just got to we got to cut Jamie some slack after <laughs> listening to myself, cut him off about 31 times an episode. Oh, guys, it's well, first of all, let me just say this is our baby. This is all of us have contributed. We've put in a lot of time and effort and had a really great time doing this. Well, we can get into more of the thank you, the sentiment, sentiment, sentimentality towards the end. But it has. We might not even fit it to cut you off, Jamie. We might not (laughs) even fit it today, and we might have to just reflect tomorrow. Yes, stay tuned. But I did want to emphasize too that we're going to do. You know, it's the real deal day today, so we're going to spend some time talking about the uh, the Holy of Holies, Halloween '78, and then we've got some time to uh, talk about the history of the franchise. So if you're seeing the uh, the tape today on Spotify, look like it's a little. Little different. It's because we're, uh, you know, it might be a little su- special double episodes. We can really <laughs> dive in since it's uh, the thirty first itself. Yeah, I mean, uh, Halloween nineteen seventy eight could be cliche, more of a zig than a zag, but I think it's it's a bona fide classic. If you're talking about Halloween movies, it's very hard to ignore this one or the franchise in general. I mean, the franchise is obviously also. In the news lately, there was just a new installment, which we'll get to. But this movie, directed by John Carpenter, uh, co-written by Deborah Hill and starring uh, Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis, is just an a- such a classic and such like a defining movies, not just even for Halloween, but for horror movies that like it's hard to even like 
think outside of the box that or like the the path that it put together for me like I, I growing up it's it was it's always like loomed large as a franchise and for me it's always been like kind of my favorite of the big three of nightmare halloween friday the 13th i mean where do you guys fall on the fall on that yeah, we didn't go Friday the 13th this this time. We thought about it for the 13th, but we were like, how could you do that? You know, it's <laughs> not Friday, but it doesn't really feel too Halloween-y to me. But, you know, I, I think whenever I was just watching, um, you know, AMC horror syndication was always really big for me. And like, I think something that was so pervasive was not only just this particular movie being like, the perfect sense of mixing the trick-or-treating, the, you know, supernatural that comes into play, all of those things that make you feel like you're not safe in the suburbs, you know, that we could kind of relate to from our upbringing. I, I think that is awesome. But then just the pervasiveness of like having Michael Myers sequels and all the Halloween now apocryphal sequels too on all the time. I think of four and five being very overly licensed and you know, just adding to just kind of texture like it, it, th those aren't good movies, but, you know, they they were something that you would just put on, have in the background and have this mythos kind of just carry over you that I think is to your point, Jamie, the the most powerful thing about Michael Myers that we'll talk about how this works in the latest <laughs> sequel. It's just he is this, you know, sheer force of evil that, you know, kind of makes him. I think a hand in hand friend to to Sam from episode one, where it's just like he is the sense of spooky Halloween horror kind of distilled and in, incarnate. And uh, that's why I think this is, of course, like a zig, like you said, but such an important one. And we would be jerks not to include it. You know, we'd be we'd be going out of our way to say that the lure exists on this list. But, you know, John Carpenter's 1978 <laughs> Halloween doesn't. You know, this is the perfect kind of culmination of our party, of the celebration weekend, you know, and we've got a lot to talk about. There's there's a lot there's a lot to still be unearthed and there's more to this franchise quickly to come. So I'm excited. Yeah, we're here. And for me, talking about all the other franchises, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, all of those, I remember watching them as a kid and at different points on TV or at friends' houses or renting them myself. But Halloween was always the one that hit me the hardest and kind of hit me first growing up in a suburban neighborhood it's just it's so simple and it's so hard to understand the shape or michael myers and his intentions with other ones jason it doesn't really make any sense but it's often camp and i'm and, and you're understanding there's teens and there's these they've decided to go there and they've went into his place and same with freddie he's wild and crazy and you go to sleep and you interact with him where michael myers could just be outside the window across the street and I don't know why he's there. <laughs> and that was terrifying to me as a kid in a neighborhood with like street lights and looking out the window. And you can't really tell is that someone over there in that shadow and would they just walk over because like it's not that hard to open some of these doors and just get inside. Yeah, it's really that feeling of just the breathing at the end of the movie just to cut yeah, right even, to the I end. I mean, of like, it breathes in the there. beginning, too. He's, you know, he's he, he's just that breathing won't that stop POV breathing. shot. <laughs> and it was just that that scariness of of not understanding it and seeing it at an early age. I feel like Halloween was one of those ones where dad, my dad didn't remember if there was anything 
bad or violent. There's no crazy kills. There's nothing gratuitous in it. So it was one of those ones where it's like, oh yeah, sure, put it on, kid. Like get a little scared. <laughs> versus the other They'll ones, blur out the boobs. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> versus the other ones where there's a lot of scenes of sex or violence or or more gore. And and this is what sticks with us. And I feel like this is in you know a full conversation with everything we've talked about with what we love, especially in some of the other films that we picked. Is this tone and this emotion of that fear and that slow build and that we don't always get that release or don't always understand why something is slowly suffocating us with terror. And this does it in such a a cold way with so many wide shots and the, the cinematography is is understated but done so well. And it's very similar to like just looking out your window in the dark and being like, wait, is that someone over there? Oh, <laughs> oh maybe not. And it's how easy a, it would be for walking, them to come in. <laughs> it's at a walking pace, so to speak. The simplicity yeah. is the certainly, in my opinion, the what makes this work as a film and kind of why, when we'll get into the sequels later, why it may be like, it's hard to recapture that magic because like this is the most generic, like simple uh, campfire story you could probably tell. It's like, it's so almost it's almost amazing when you look at it. It's like, how is no one like tapping into this before 1978? Because it's like there was no real movies called like they this planted its flag in Halloween. It planted its flag in like starting slasher films. Like there's obviously films before it that are sort of like proto slashers, you know, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like Black Christmas or like uh, Jallo films, which kind of like touch on it. But like this movie just really kind of just took a bear hug of all these things and put it together. And I mean, the premise is a kid kills his sister on Halloween night. When he's six years old, he murders his sister. 15 later, 15 years in a, you know, mental asylum. He's just been completely mute, staring out a window. His psychiatrist diagnoses him as evil. (laughs) And he's been tricking the board the entire time. Apparently he's peaceful. And then he escapes, somehow learns how to drive a car back home to Haddonfield and then starts killing people. I mean, can't believe he's only 21. It, yeah, that always that, kind of you know? blows my mind, too. It's like he's 21. He's, he can. He can well, it's like Lori's in like high school in this. Yeah. And you're just like, mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's the thing that really distills it for me, too. It's just like the the scenes that happen kind of quickly after, you know, you know, Michael escapes. It's good. Really lived in actual high school characters. I, I think like the easiest thing you can get wrong as a writer or as a genre director, is just having high school characters that are larger than life or play so much into trope or just like are adults who go to school. And like, this is a really good example of people who feel like they go to class, who feel like they study, who feel like they're interested in boys, but, you know, not to the degree that that's like all they do or talk about and have like babysitting gigs or things going on and just are enjoying like a night where they have some plans or or some things to do. And it, it just feels like an actual textured community, a group of friends rather than a setup, you know, like, oh, okay, we've got this group of friends and we've got the jock and the jerk and the blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, just a normal group of, of textured people who get put into harm's way in this very specific sense of, dread and, and monstrous evil incarnate and all this kind of stuff but 
it it helps to have so many of those like atmosphere setting scenes be just well acted like it was dazed and confused you know it yeah. just feels like 70s people chatting about good stuff and then oh maybe somebody's behind that bush but i'm i'm really just in love with the core three f- female performances of this movie making it feel like so much more is at stake when they're getting killed later than you what you're used to which is just like oh the bimbo got stabbed naked the <laughs> yeah. brain got you know hit over the head with a book it's just like okay you know it it, it really feels like actual friends are dealing with the trauma of each other's death. And I think the initial trauma that's felt in this movie helps inform the better sequels for sure. I think one of the things that doesn't always necessarily get mentioned with the original in comparison to other films in the genre and just other films within the franchise is how tightly controlled the pacing is of the entire film. It's something I forget every time I go back and rewatch it, just how well it is edited, crafted, each of these scenes is paced, built into its second act and third act versus watching modern horror movies that do feel a bit formulaic and and almost feel like an NCIS episode with a crazy cold <laughs> open building to investigation. You, you know, you've got you can follow it on a graph where this one is much more of just a rise and a few little dips. But the, the pacing of each scene is is so well done. Just mm-hmm. that opening and how long each of those few opening shots are in every scene, you know, you're getting a lot of sitting camera with Michael once he escapes and with other people in the town versus now it would be set up with a lot of close-ups, a lot of inserts, a lot of sound design. And this, you're just really sitting there being forced to deal with his journey back into town. Mm-hmm. Right. At the and beginning. I love a good 90 minute movie with a good three act structure. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, more and than it's, a third it's of 90 minutes. Is, yeah, you've yeah. got this long, you've got a lot of long shots and a lot of controlled pacing, but it's still only 90 minutes. You can you can throw it on and be done in 90 minutes. Yeah, and, with a, a fair amount of character development squeezed yeah. in. A musical pro- prologue, essentially. Yeah, yeah. The overture. Yeah, the overture. Yes, Lawrence the overture. Arabia, we just get. brings yeah. you into the West film. Side Story. It's, yeah. yeah, I mean, with and a poorly they, crafted Jack O'Lantern, I'll say. <laughs> I think the interesting thing is that you get in that opening from doing some research to jump into the start of the film that that was shot afterwards and they needed something to start off the film. And I'd be interested. I haven't found too much about Carpenter talking about it, but it seems like this was his like, yeah, I can be a sensational director if you need, like, let me here. Fine. I finished my movie here. I'll give you my, (laughs) you know, touch of evil opening, whatever. But like, this is, this is what you get. Here you go. And it's, yeah, that's definitely to borrow your phrase, Chris, in conversation with <laughs> the Hitchcockier element of this, you know, yeah. the more psycho mm-hmm. getting behind the mind of the killer element. And I'm sorry, listeners, I've said in conversation <laughs> and I will say like a thousand fucking times and I've had to mix it and cut it out and deal with it. So yeah, I know. you know what? It's a conversation. <laughs> you know, it's about connective tissue. It's a cosmic yeah. gumbo. I'll work like, on it for the yeah. next, next <laughs> year. Kind of, weren't we all talking on set about how it was a cosmic gumbo? <laughs> but yeah, I think the, uh, the, the, the benefit of that is just being able to, you know, get you really into the mind of someone who's just a Terminator style horror monster so that when you're dealing with him when he's off screen, you already have that perspective so that you're knowing that he's just very mechanically going to go through the motions and walk up and extract his evil on somebody. You know, so that that is such a perfect opening to help with the pacing of the rest of the movie, because it 
generalizes the anxiety much better. You know, it mm-hmm. helps you to feel like, okay, I know how this guy operates really well. I've seen through his eyes so that now when he's obscured or in the background or disappearing, I'm still thinking about him. I'm still thinking about how he operates and how he could be moving through this house just if you don't know. And and that happens a lot when you rewatch this where you forget some of the kills or the exact moments of the sneaks and they still create great tension yeah. even on the the eighth or ninth or tenth or whatever watch. Yeah, because you're you're just in, you're engrossed in it. The, the gutter flying into the window scared the shit. I totally forgot about that. Joke. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, like, and ah. this is this is kind of the uh, one of the original box office sensations of what we've dealt with now multiple times. I think in our generation of horror with Blair Witch, Paranormal Activity, all of these low low budget things that become massive successes. I mean, this was a three hundred twenty five thousand dollar budget. That grossed almost forty-eight million dollars. Yeah, yeah, domestic. You know, yeah, first run, and it's like, yeah, this doesn't really translate globally anymore. To like, that's the thing too about just kind of this was catching lightning in a bottle, where like so much was intentional and so much was unintentional. Where like you know the the classic, this was just a Shatner mask that we spray painted, and like Nick Castle was around, and and all of these things. Yeah. And the whole story of never being able to recreate that first mask and how shitty it gets. Right. You just have a bunch of happy accidents that end up being iconic and people are like, oh, that's great. But that's all good. And a lot of people might say like, oh, it was just a bunch of happy mistakes. But I think there's so much in the choices of this movie to take your foot off the gas that aren't just budget decisions, just really taking advantage of long, long takes and stuff like that. Of course, it's like, okay, we have to stretch this thing into feature length and we don't have a lot of days to shoot or whatever, but so many things too would have helped them sell it to make it more of an exploitation film, bloodier, you know, something that was gonna cue into what would become the worst part of 80s horror. This is a good example of budget helping artistic vision as a restrictive note rather than any more money in here. And maybe we'd see Michael Myers face and it would be like a devil or something, you know, <laughs> it could, could ruin the whole deal. This is what happens when you have, you know, a master who knows their craft, knows their vision, but then is hit with the machine world of making a film and the budgets and the constrictions in that world and being able to mold what they viewed as their vision into a true movie without really giving up the heart of it. Yeah, and he's able to do it high and low with this and the thing. You know, it's like that's this is the least horror movie and that is the most horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Both of them are classics. It's approached almost like an art house still. It still looks amazing because of the way it was shot and lit and everything and I, I don't think anyone had any misconceptions at the time when they were making it there. I don't think I think Jamie Lee Curtis is very modest and like I had no idea I was going to we were going to be talking about this movie 40 years from now. And now I know that when I die, my obituary is going to say Halloween star Jamie Lee Curtis is dead. She's a lovely fan of the franchise and proponent of the franchise. But anyway, what I'm getting at is that despite them kind of making this very low budget horror movie, I think they all approached it with a level of like, let's make the best movie that we can. And certainly John Carpenter, I mean, the reason his name is on it is that he took like ownership of it. He was like, okay, yeah. like, I'll do this. He made a font. Yeah. <laughs> like he, it's a John Carpenter font. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like he's like, all right, like I'll do this. And I, I think he's paid like a somewhat small fee and he's like, but, um, I, I'll, I'll take it on as long as I have full creative control. I mean, he did the music, he did the directing and he really made this his baby. And then, you know, it shows, it shows through how the movie is put together. And I think uh, a big benefit of, you know, Michael Myers in this particular entry before we start to really explain his psyche outside of he's a boy and he's evil. Like he's credited as the shape. He's discussed as the boogeyman. Like the fact that he is Michael Myers is the least important part of his character. It's just the sense of dread or evil going somewhere and breaking down the doors of people who think they're safe in an environment where they can't be safe. The whole reason this came out at the perfect time is because this is when the attack assault on precinct 13 inner cities made people feel this general anxiety around gun violence and gangs, you know, in the, you know, the post Nixon seventies. And now you you get this where it's like, no, that you are living in a lie of, you know, the, the sense that you're just protected from all of that in the world because you set up these housing developments and all that, like evil can take shape and, and come after you too and be breathing right behind you in your beautiful Victorian homes and <laughs> nice call to sex. Maybe, maybe it's actually a message about restricting driver's licenses for <laughs> people who are prepared. Hey, to no one checked what? it. That's not the swing I'm willing to take. But, you know, <laughs> I he drives a lot. But yeah, I, I'm wondering. It gets worse um, as, the, as the franchise <laughs> goes on too. <laughs> at driving. Yeah, I, yeah, we'll talk about that. But I'm wondering, you know, like this, this is so much better than the sum of its parts. I think you just have to have this distilled dread as the main event of this movie to expect is just the full build up to the last kind of 16 or 17 minutes is really when it starts to heat up. But what are your favorite moments outside of the final, final confrontation with the coat hanger and the, the gunshot and the can't kill the your boogeyman of it all? What are your favorite other things that take place that really start to, you know, like keep that machine alive until it explodes later on? Well, just to, to your point about dread and to <laughs> recall something you mentioned in the previous episode about drinking games, I was saying the drinking game you could play with this movie is anytime the theme comes in, like that droning sort of like not the main like piano key theme, but like more of like the horn or whatever that sort of like drone that comes through the horn section that comes through many, many, many times. I did I lost count, I think. But you could drink that at every take a sip at every time that comes on and you'd be pretty uh and I do like the synthy. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that. also that's a classic. Like any of these musical <laughs> little uh, you know, like stingers is are always good. But um I would say so that's in terms of just dread, like that theme just keep repeating and repeating and usually accompanied by Michael Myers standing in the distance. And, you know, I think that's also to it is that there's just so much of the film is shot from wide that you just see him in the distance. You don't even really get a clear look at him. He's always even in bright day. He's just kind of like hiding and like out slightly out of focus or from like far enough that you can't tell. Anyway, back to my favorite moment. My favorite moment is probably Donald Pleasance when he's at the Myers house and he gives this little monologue, which is kind of just filling in the gaps of 
why the fuck is Donald Pleasant so freaked out by this guy? Besides just saying like, he's escaped and like, we need to find him. He tells Sheriff Brackett, he's like, you know, I, I, I tried to learn this little kid. I learned to learn about him and what was wrong with him. And then I try, spent the next seven years trying to keep him locked up. And he's like, he's got the devil's eyes and all this. Like the kid must be really fucked up. If the like, blackest a eyes. yeah, if a doctor is like, what's wrong with him? He is evil. He, no, he, schizophrenic nope he is evil <laughs> and he must be destroyed i like i we should kill him <laughs> just like jesus christ but uh donald pleasant sells that little bit of exposition and i think it helps just kind of create this this even further otherworldly aura about michael myers which is another thing i like about the film is that he's you know ostensibly just a regular person but there's sort of this hints of him being supernatural would you guys agree or do you think he's just like a full-on supernatural character i think he 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 gets kind of christened to be supernatural by the bullet and he just like then at that point that's the most beautiful there does not have to be a franchise because that's the point he like that's his apotheosis Mm -hmm. into a demonic angel you Mm -hmm. know like that to be the most pretentious way of saying like he (laughs) rises from that fall and then becomes everywhere yeah it's great that you never see him again and i hate certain parts of where sequels and recent sequels go with that for that same reason yeah so i think that that's even the thing in the eye or anything else around it like that moment at the end when that reveal happens he is no longer a man and i think that's like the whole point of the movie and so much of it uh, gets a little watered down yeah. with certain sequel elements. No, I agree. I think at that point, he's not Michael Myers. He is truly the shape. It's truly everywhere. He's truly the boogeyman. They could have gone out that window and tilted down and then seen nothing on the ground and tilted up and he's just floating there in the air. <laughs> and this is the thing that I think is really important for my kind of next few takes on the sequels because everything comes down and and people even get down on sequels that don't highlight the relationship between Michael and Laurie. And I've never found that important. Like, I think that Laurie is just another person that was just on his list of, you know, potential people to kill because they somewhat remind of the youthful innocence and, and, you know, budding woman flower grossness of his sister. And like, yeah, there's no real like attachment or brotherhood sisterhood drawn in blood there. So I get that, of course, just the relationship between the star of the film and her, it being her franchise, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of extra textual stuff that makes that extra important. But this one first movie, it's just, he is generalized evil for this community Lori gets away in that moment, but it's not like his vendetta against Lori. It's he's the scourge to this community yeah. in that community alone, not just specific individuals. And it, it is always weird that like people are like, why does he go after her? And it's like, well, she stops by his house earlier that day. And that's enough reason for me. Like, and he's, it's, yeah. It, and he just catches eye of like, oh, that's a person that yeah, reminds me of that. And I'm going to yeah. stalk her and then eventually attack her. Like, that's all I needed. You know, I, I think we we're going to bridge this into the, what we'll call the, the near sequels <laughs> of, you know, things that have a Halloween let number after it. 
there's a flavor of the reach sequels which are some of the like anthologized ones and and ones that are more like uh anniversary movies slash the rob zombie movies which we're not going to pay much attention to and now our favorite david gordon green so you know i think we're going to spend some time just really diving into kills after this too but Chris, you did a lot of exploring, not only the deleted scenes of this movie. But I mean, there's only like four Halloween twos if you look at the timeline. There's there's like seven timelines and you have to keep track. There's some that retcon some and others like it's kind of a mess. Yeah. So I think I've got I've got it sorted here so we can dive in and just talk about some of the ones we really want to talk yeah. about and skip over the specifics of others that the main timeline for the franchise is Halloween one happened and then absolutely nothing else happened because that's my preferred timeline <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's the, what the main one really is well is then there's halloween 3 which is a different movie halloween yeah. 3 is just on a different timeline altogether yeah but the the main timeline that you might be used to growing up is halloween halloween 2 into 4 5 6 which you know just kind of follows a, a pretty consistent story kind of developing this mythos around the occult nature of Michael Myers. There's also Halloween H2O and Resurrection, which just skip out on 456 and go after two. There's Rob Zombies, which are on their own little island, Halloween and Halloween 2. It's a dirty it's island. It's a grungy Sherry Moon Zombie island. And uh, the Halloween David Gordon Green sequels skip over the hospital sequel of two and are just called Halloween, Halloween Kills, and Halloween Ends, which is yet to come out following just the ending of 78. So if you haven't watched them all, all of those retcon each other, but they're all basically, I think, explorations of two things. One, who is Michael Myers? Not a concept I care about that much. <laughs> and the worst of who, you know, who is Laurie Strode, which again, not a concept I care about that much. So you got to sell me a lot to become a good sequel. But the third finger that I'm going to raise, I guess, before we talk about any others, did want to talk about Halloween 3. Because as we've said, <laughs> we are apologists for Halloween 3. We've said that it's kind of the precursor to the American Horror Story way of thinking to just come through and have this generalized dread about consumer culture and suburbia as an idea, as a template that we like a lot. And... We think that's a really effective movie that just gets panned for being part of the wrong series. But if it were just another, you know, John Carpenter flavored movie from the 80s, I think it would be beloved. And I, I, I think it gets a bad rap. I'm surprised they haven't done a rebrand of it after all of these years with Shout Factory and all these different places putting out new versions. I'm surprised there isn't just John Carpenter's season of the witch or something. Yeah. Tommy Lee Wallace's oh, yeah, Tommy, season yeah. of the witch. Yeah. I think that's it's, part of it's the charm. definitely its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, even though it, it on one hand, it's like it hurt and probably helped the film in the same way. Like if it was just season of the witch, how many people would have seen it back then? Yeah. Yeah. And it did inform the other movies, like the occult kind mm -hmm. of Stonehenge elements and the druidic stuff in it. Yeah. Which comes back. That's what ends up being the whole thing in four, five, six. Yeah. So it, it is, it does have some texture. It's kind of like a Ryan Murphy thing where it's like, okay, well, we'll leave these themes out to be part of Michael Myers' oeuvre now. But uh, again, it's very cool. It's about. Uh, a mask that helps you to have a cool experience, kind of like a 3D mask 
that children wear for a big broadcast on Halloween that Tom Atkins character of Dan Chalice goes on a little bit of an investigative streak to figure out that it is an evil plan to actually, you know, for this big giveaway commercial microchips will activate in the masks themselves that deteriorate children's faces into creepy crawlies. And it's a bananas concept. It ends with an absolute, you know, I I guess horrifying cliffhanger, horrifying, (laughs) like, did it go, did it, you know, is the, is it going to broadcast or not? You know? And I I think that calling all those networks, that scene is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the best idea of, I think, in any of these sequels, following the tradition of the first, where it's like, how do you leave an audience with that sense of Halloween frights, specifically Halloween-y frights, especially around the, the children aspects and the mixture of this druidic sense with corporate culture and co- consumer culture, and then this like nice generalized cliffhanger of like this could happen and it's it's still open-ended and we don't have a resolution you know like we won't go into it deep but if you haven't seen it i would encourage you more than any other sequel on this list to give it a shot yeah it's definitely the most exciting of them that can totally stand alone that you don't need to be informed or like cody said care about (laughs) what's going on in the background of michael's or Lori's lives because they don't really matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Michael and Dr. Loomis. And to your earlier point about like characters that carry over that I care about, like I feel like Dr. Loomis is more important than Laurie in a lot of ways because he's sort of oh, like yeah. the yin to Michael Myers as Yang and is what is the carryover into four. And the end of the second Halloween, they both explode and die. Like that is it. The best thing about three is that it introduced this concept of an anthology being like, well, Halloween, like, is Halloween about Michael Myers or is it about the the holiday? And that's what John Carpenter was arguing was like, let's make this a series where there's different stories and we can just, it's, it, the only connective tissue necessarily is sort of th- this uh, feeling of Halloween. Audiences hated it. <laughs> We're pissed off that Michael <laughs> Myers is not in it. And then- Well, they'd waited so long between all these movies. Yeah. They, they had to really make it a stretch that Jamie Lee Curtis in 81 was still a teenager. And then I liked that it, for a minute from 81 to 82, it, it almost was going to be like, this can be your tradition every year. Like yeah. Another new director will take up the mantle, try something out. And it'll be like, it'll be Halloween for 1985, 1986. Like, just give it a shot. Try something new. Keep that flavor alive. Mm-hmm. But sadly, you know, we talked about two as being fine, but just kind of a, a distillation of okay, let's have the last scene of Halloween just be at a hospital and have that continue on as, <laughs> as the aftermath. But I think... And the, it's it's a bit more fun than I think people give it credit for on, on this recent rewatch that I did of it. It really brought me back to the world of just having a movie on cable while I'm doing stuff. And it was kind <laughs> of fun for that. I From not having cable for so long, I, you kind of miss the flipping through the channel and you're like, oh, hey, I'm going to leave this on while I do some laundry and do other things and it it's just a fun one to have on where four five and six i feel like growing up were those movies but those are much lower tier now yeah and it does bring up uh sawin you know or sawin like that's the beginning of this druidic sense but like doesn't really get explored and 
boy, oh boy, Chris, Chris is going to dive into the, the <laughs> plots of oh. all of the later sequels that really like that. Before, idea. before we get the fun- curse of the thorn, you mean? Uh, gee, yeah, the thorn trilogy. Before <laughs> we get into religion. the thorn trilogy, I just want to say that I, I do think it's interesting that there is this sort of like Halloween is also kind of it's take it's very indicative of the times that it takes place in. I mean, this is a 40 year franchise. So like you obviously have the first one that comes out huge hit and then it had spawned all these knockoffs and whatever. Uh, Friday the 13th, love them, but they ostensibly are just ripoffs of Halloween in a sense. It's like, well, let's just take that formula and kind of dumb it down a little bit. My apologies to yeah. well, the franchise. Add, add some extra muscle to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's like the muscle car to this. And punish punish kids for doing drugs and having sex. Add more sex, add more violence. And you can see that in Halloween 2. There's no blood in Halloween 1. And in Halloween 2, he's like stabbing people in, with needles and scalding their faces off. So it is yeah. interesting. There's, yeah, then there's like actual just pools of blood. <laughs> yeah, there's people are slipping on blood and knocking themselves out. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of maximalism to to combat the minimalism of the prior one. And that's why it's like sequels don't really work well as just continued minimalism. That's what we talked about for like the It Follows sequel. It's like people are always looking for how you're ramping up, ramping those things up. And to do just another It Follows sequel that is similarly paced wouldn't work, you know, because you, you you have expectations in horror sequels that something like this, do, unless you reinvent a lot, you're, you're going to have to just amp up the stakes. And that's to the detriment, I think, of a character like this. But uh, speaking of uh, stakes and to the heart a little bit of, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to connect it to the Thorn trilogy, but man... <laughs> Some of my most seen Halloween movies because they were over overshared on cable. But Chris, can you just try to explain to the neophytes <laughs> listening what is actually going on in the druidic logic of Halloween four, five and six? <laughs> that's a tough that's the meanest thing I've ever asked you. to. Do. <laughs> well, you get some initial hints in two when they're in like the elementary school, <laughs> which is just kind of ridiculous well i guess before you get to the thorn trilogy you get three and then there's this whole break you start getting initial bits of occult in three and then there's a six-year gap and we get four the return of michael myers back into the world of the original series or the original two and we don't fully focus on his invincibility and loomis is starting to try to figure it out but it's not till we get to five you start finding out that there might be a telepathic link between (laughs) jamie (laughs) who had been who had attacked her foster mother yeah it's jamie is one of the characters and then there's rachel yep rachel well who gets four and is the foster sister of jamie from four yeah right and so it's basically like who is whose niece and uh, you know, and f- I will a, it, say five is a fun one when he gets his sight. Yeah. yeah, that's that's where it starts to get real. Uh, children of the corny, but <laughs> corny is the emphasized word. As we start in this, you know, Thorn trilogy, the which kind of has more importance and less importance as we go in and out of some of this. That there is a ancient rune that <laughs> Michael has to kill his family to like save the world it's fucking ridiculous it's such an unnecessary detail that's just like we need to explain a motivation so let's just like 
I guess he's part of like some Celtic cult and or Celtic cult and the town part of the town is in on it, I guess. Like, it's just kind of ridiculous. And this is the thing that I need a little bit of uh, help with is the connection is that Jamie is Jamie is Jamie Lee Curtis's niece or no daughter. daughter. Jamie, Jamie is the daughter, but then Michael Myers is revealed to be the brother of Laurie. In the second one, yes, yeah. In the second one, yeah. And John yes. Carpenter has very much gone on record by saying, like, I wrote the movie, like, for a check with a, blow, with a lot of beer. <laughs> like, he's like, I wrote it in a week right. with, with a couple six packs. And he pulled out this, like, twist because he saw, like, Empire Strikes Back. And there's just like, fuck, like, he he hates it. Like, he, he really does not like to. He doesn't not, he doesn't like the making of it. He really wanted to wash his hands of the franchise. So yeah, yes, right. and two, they she they, was the adoption baby. Given yeah, out. complete retcon, like really stupid. And and this thorn can, you know, the the curse can only happen on Halloween or or Samhain because that's when the constellation will occur <laughs> and create the rune in the sky on yeah. Halloween. And then to prevent mass death among those people, they one family is chosen to bear that curse, and then. That person is given inhuman strength and to commit immunity, mass death. <laughs> and they they become pure evil, but they need to wipe out their own family. Gotcha. Got it. And all the one of the collateral damage is just considered like worth it, I guess. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it's a utilitarian decision, and yeah, I think then in 1989, that kind of gets put to bed until the 90s where it's you know like there's a six-year time jump and then there's a whole kind of x-files inspired sequel that has paul rudd and you know features a man in black and you know again it's like and you got dr dr win as the man in black who they retcon from the first one who's in like a short scene and it turns out that he's the one who placed the curse of the thorn on Michael as a child. Yeah, it's um, right. And it's such a shame because I honestly, I love Halloween four. I think it is awesome. I think it's like, it's like a silly bad movie, but it's like very enjoyable. And then five and six particularly just start adding so much, just like crazy mythology that it's like, all right, you get fetuses in experimental tubes and it's like, okay, This We're has moving. gone off We're the moving. rails, yeah. And I mean, I you always have to jump through hoops to be like, because they call it Halloween and it's always Michael Myers escapes on Halloween. So it's always a little like, you just have to accept, oh yeah, he coincidentally escapes and comes to town on this day, no matter what, I guess. Right. But then luckily that timeline ends there. The thorn <laughs> ends with a nice who killed who kind of, uh, you know, cliffhanger and then we go back to all right now we're gonna have laurie strode back in action 20 years later without any of the other films happening involving any connection to a daughter or anything like that and that's h2o which again is a marketing decision that i stand behind even though it's a pretty weird movie with some pretty big future stars and i have to emphasize it does have between Michelle Williams and LL Cool J. That's fine. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, cool. But it's got a friend of the podcast, Josh Harnett. Yeah. 
back yeah. in action. His first I think playing his first Laurie's role. son. Yeah, playing yeah. Laurie's son. And Wish they had brought him back for another movie. Like, hell yeah. I'm telling you right now, I he would have killed it. I, I There's a lot of jokes going on with Judy Greer as, you know, the new daughter that, hey, whatever happened to the old <laughs> kids playing the kids, bring them back. But this one's our favorite, obviously, because it's Winglet Josh. And just to follow up with the whole podcast, Chris and I did impart a signed photograph of Josh Harnett, which we will probably <laughs> share on social to Jamie early for his birthday. So that is in our possession. And, he, you know, it's it's now obviously hung up, up on the ceiling above Jamie's bed <laughs> yeah. so that he can th- see it while he goes to sleep. Um, he had to remove the mirror. Nicest gift I've ever Josh. gotten. No, nicest gift I've ever gotten. Unbelievable. Unbelievable gift. But yeah. yeah. Well, if Josh, if you're listening, we want more. <laughs> Halloween H2O is funny because it's basically Halloween 2018 just made it 20 years earlier. And it's like the same kind of setup. Jamie Lee Curtis is like, I want to tell this story about trauma and moving on and confronting your past, except it's a 90s movie and it comes off very silly. And I rewatched Halloween H2O for the first time in a long time. And man, that had some goofy moments. <laughs> yeah, it's a real 13 Ghosts era style violence and stuff. And it's got a fun boarding school preppy setting and ends with a fire axe decapitation. So it's everything you, you'd want out of some schlock. And you get Janet Lee in there. Yeah, working alongside, you know, the the OG yeah, they, they screen know, queen. They know what they're doing bit to part. the early uh, Matt Lillard's of the end. Uh, you know, Jamie baby Kennedy's. boomers came for Janet Lee. Can we just talk about some of the masks in H2O? Like apparently they oh. there was like four different masks that they used and they're all terrible. There's a CGI mask at one point, which is I mean, awful. that's something we haven't even talked about really across this franchise as we get into the sequels is the fact that they, I guess, lost the original mask and there were so many issues trying to recreate it. And each time it is just never good. It's never right. It's just it, all of, sometimes you see eyes, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's just like too They gave him eyebrows. Yeah. The, the, one the eyebrows H2O are so bad. Really bad because his eye hiles are so big you can see his eyes and his hair looks like um, fucking... Uh, carrot Top. The, uh, carrot Top or like, a, what's that fitness guy? A G, uh, Richard Simmons. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it is, is he did they find him yet he, he's they been did. found they okay found. okay he's been he, found with a knife stalking josh hartnett is what he's been found <laughs> that's the eyebrow. It. it looks like an old lady put the eyebrows on it's just really unfortunate too that it's just like there can never be enough cohesion in any of these movies they have to keep retconning each other and that chain ends with resurrection where the resurrection isn't that he actually died it's that that Killing with a fire axe was mistaken identity. And you yep. know, it was a, a security guard with a crushed larynx or something who was swapped clothes. <laughs> and, was, you know, that's how Michael is able to come back another year later and deal with another, at the time, rap stars, Buster Rhymes, along with, you know, everybody from Katie Stack- Sackoff to Tyra Banks. And, you know, it, it becomes a... A little bit of a diary of the dead style pseudo, you know, that one that one season of uh, American Horror Story where, you know, we're, we're filming this. It's an early reality show. And They're trying just, to do some scream, too. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of just what's the flavor of the week in the genre. And we'll just find where we're comfortable throwing uh, Michael Myers in to play around in that 
sandbox and that's not good i remember seeing resurrection in theaters with my aunt and, and some cousins of mine took me to it and i like way too young confused but just like it, the plot totally doesn't matter it's just one of those ones you just watch for people to get killed and it yeah, feels and like a cable movie that somehow made it on into theaters once you get to that place which like again four five and six were kind of fighting against but not really by the end it, it just becomes that we have ip that works and, and that's just icky there's no love there and speaking of icky and no love there rob zombies picks they just kind of tapped him he was like really you want me and i don't even want to talk too long about those two movies i think they're gross I like Rob Zombie's movies sometimes, but those are just it's the worst matchup of if he if he had anything, give him a Friday 13th, give him a nightmare, give him something where he can let that grime really rub off in the right way. But just going down into the bowels of of pseudo torture porn and, you know, just the the grimy, grimy, grimy depths of dirty, dirty death that he brings that's never really been the 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 vibe of yeah. this franchise and it's just it's not worth exploring if you already have the you know even some of the the sequels you know are, are just a more enjoyable watch than just feeling gross watching it, it's it's so it's so joyless to me and i you know i i i think he kind of goes on to kind of admit that those were just experiments within his his color palettes and you know of of horror and it's not a painting that really makes sense <laughs> uh with those color palettes and, and with his brushes let's say so so you're really hyped for his monsters film <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm hoping that they're really dirty and they all murder each other in dirt you know it's just yeah. okay you know uh, not not uh now there's no there's no respect there for what comes before it's just again like latching on to iconography that can be easily marketed and you know i don't know if we have any other thoughts there but i think that kind of ties into what i was going to talk about for um most of these 2010s 2020s yeah. sequels I, I think with the rob zombie ones it it's totally up that alley you're talking about where it's just it's the the wrong pick and he's got skills and I like some of his films and it would have been more interesting for another franchise. I think at the time we didn't really need new Halloween movies, but they were trying to do Friday the 13th. They were trying to do Nightmare on Elm Street and I don't get why he didn't pull into one of those other more gore-tastic franchises. Putting him in Halloween, Halloween has never been gore fun or exciting and that's why this first one still holds up so much better as you see these sequels slowly deteriorating as you rewatch <laughs> them it's just like this isn't what's scary about it you guys yeah. missed it the point yeah and i i think the gross parts of this just kind of go against the kind of whole nature of the other movies were that they were so clean you mm -hmm. know or the, the at least the first two and especially the first is just like you live in this really clean environment and you have just kind of this force coming in and disrupting it while almost not even breaking a glass. You mm -hmm. know, it wasn't this sense of like, let's get down in the dirty and just you know really rip you to shreds. It was just like you can walk into a perfect looking bedroom, but then there's a dead girl with yeah. a tomb over, you know, that that's let that's him fine. do a, a sinister and he can do all the found footage in one of those. <laughs> no, just yeah, all of his he writes characters that and this is in the criticism. This is what he does. But all of his characters are just back sound like backwater hillbillies. So, like, give him like 
I don't know, like deliverance or something. Like give them, just give them characters that are right. backwater hillbillies. Don't like make like Haddonfield residents backwater hillbillies because that's not what they are. They're just they're suburbanites, you know. So it was it's a weird mixture, and they're just not my taste. I would say I, I don't know if I'd necessarily say I would, they're bad, but they're just they don't really sit well with me. Yeah, and they they, they don't linger on this list as like. Anything that you can really get a ton of from, from yeah. a rewatch that you wouldn't have gotten or see it. In the they're, they're like a separate franchise. Almost. I don't really consider them like they're Halloween movies. They have, like you said, the iconography, but they feel like not of this same like ilk. They're just so different. It's fresh in a sense. But like I said, I just don't. Wasn't my flavor. Wasn't my flavor. Only ones in the franchise to feature Weird Al playing himself. So <laughs> good thing to. Uh, to but to going into. The Halloween 2018, I guess we'll call it annoyingly called Halloween as well, but whatever marketing. But it's like the third Halloween too. <laughs> yeah, the third Halloween too. Uh, well, I'll let you Cody take away, but I'll just say that it, it's much more. I think and we all in agreement. Maybe our flavor of Halloween film feels like a return to basics. Yeah, I mean it's it's the most encouraging in a while. I think that's why. Halloween Kills hurts a little bit for some folks. But I also have some things that Jamie and I, I think, will agree we are going to step up and respect about Halloween Kills. It might be sound condescending, but they're said with love. So (laughs) I think what I would emphasize is like Halloween is the best distillation as a sequel, Halloween 2018, of the sense of just kind of encroaching doom and a much tamer take on Michael Myers presence in a community and kind of going back to his roots than we've ever seen before. Like it's the most effective sequel to have Michael Myers go back and approach a situation with Laurie Strode bar none for me. And I think it, it has a real respect and love for Carpenter. It plays into a lot of the fan service you would want without necessarily having no identity of its own. Um, And it's something that I definitely respect the restraint of of just continuing to have some much bloodier and more numerous and and steadier sense of like, okay, kill, kill, kill. Let's keep moving this thing along. But it's getting much more into a sense of dread around a character now, Laurie Strode, being that Dr. Loomis saying he's evil, he's evil, he's coming. And then only at the very end, having that final confrontation where she's kind of exploring her trauma throughout as a character and trying to, you know, kind of cry wolf or not. And then having that kind of catharsis at the end where they they think they catch him and they get him. But all of that kind of proves worthless in the scheme <laughs> of things. But it, it ends up being a... a, a you know, you're you're satisfied. It's a good three out of five meal to take it and be like, yeah, I'm going to the theater. I'm seeing Jamie Lee really not phone it in. I'm seeing people like Judy Greer, who are just always giving A plus performances, whatever the assignment is. You know, it's it's a great ecosystem to be Toby working Huss, in. Toby Huss, who I love. <laughs> yeah, you know, just, you know, we'll get more into a full ensemble and kills, but like everybody's coming in and making their presence felt and known in a way that's just uh, a a good little piece of work that makes it feel like a real family the way that it felt like a real friend group in the original. So I I give it a a bunch of nods in that direction of working well, just 
matching the both thematic elements of the original and the tone, pace, and respect for viewers' attention spans of the original too. <laughs> yeah, next to four, it's certainly my favorite sequel. And I think the biggest thing is that it it gives Laurie Strode a reason to continue to exist as the protagonist of the series. Like you said, like she does become kind of the Dr. Loomis figure, even though they introduce sort of a Dr. Loomis figure who is actually like the evil Dr. Loomis. Like Laurie is really that role of saying this person is evil, like being that sort of like paranoid presence, which I think is also a hallmark hallmark of the series. I think as much as Michael Myers is a part of the franchise, I think you need a Dr. Loomis-esque character and a Laurie Strode type character. And I like that Laurie Strode kind of takes that mantle. Jamie Lee Curtis like plays her. And this, like I said, like this is kind of retreading a lot of the themes that H2O did, but just doing it far better and like in a much more meaningful Classy. way, classier way, you know, like and more realistic. Like if someone were to go through something like that, there is a lot of trauma to unpack and you probably would turn into kind of a nutcase. So it is kind of like I like that it yeah. gives like a certain amount of it's um, like Sarah Connor. Yeah, exactly. It's ex- exactly she she becomes Sarah Connor and is proven right and her plan maybe there was some big holes in it but, but i i it, very it, much enjoy the film one hole in the ground that didn't work out like that <laughs> yeah but chris what do you think of this i think you guys are both a lot more into it than i was <laughs> i was very very disappointed by 2018 i said a, a a generous three out of five so i, don't <laughs> I know, know but that's, and yeah it just like it didn't do it for me and i it's just I've never felt like I needed any more than the original, which I think is the problem. I come into all of these a little biased. So I either want I either want it to be on cable and I'm laughing while doing something else, <laughs> but or or I want the original versus like I going to see this in the theater. I just felt like there was so much fan service and then so much confusion as to like why one night 40 years later has like turned her like full on. I don't you think know, it's recluse. too much of a stretch. I mean, and, it, or like, why doesn't she live in Hawaii? <laughs> like, what is? I'll go- forgive them that. Yeah, but I, I do think the worst thing that you can be as a sequel like this is average for rewatchability. And like, I needed, I needed either. You need to be yeah. real bad, or you need to be real good for me to throw you on at a party. I either needed, I either needed Lori to be a lot more smart and smarter than me. That I, I needed to get to a point towards the end where there was a twist that she had planned something better or something else where i was like oh okay. they kind of yeah i mean with the, 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 the trap, trap door the trap door was a surprise but like that's enough it's enough for me to to believe it whether or not i'm it smarter seemed a little convoluted to burn down the house like baby out with the bathwater. but it yeah i but i need like you know dissection like shred <laughs> him to pieces or something like they you know, need this Chris. either needs to go Chris, full Chris, he's not saw. a child. We yeah. don't have to kill him for you on this list. I know. There was um, no yeah. no real good dead children in, in this one as opposed to Halloween Kills. No, there's the kid at the beginning. The, the yeah, next yeah, snap. Next snap. True. There was, it was a polished return to form for the franchise, which, you know, you could argue whether there needs to be any sequels. I felt like it had too much Danny McBride on it. Yeah, I mean, there, it had certain like, like moments. It, everyone everyone quibby, had like yeah, a quirk. Quiz. 
like a little quirk to like give them like, a, oh, that's the guy who's into Bond Mies. But I'm like, then that meant nothing, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's what the first that's what the first one. And even some of these sequels have is it's hard to replace like the presence of Dr. Loomis across all of those where he's just such a character. So you give everybody scraps to, you know, be like, all right, yeah. this is their their whole thing is being into peanut butter. Bondi it fell into the trap for me of like it's way too many characters where if. I would have been down with just hanging out in Lori's house with her. I made this like this almost like really slow burn home invasion that she knew he was coming versus like starting me off with podcasters, then the police, then that no. doctor, then like a daughter, then a granddaughter, then like a you know, Toby Huss, who I love. And then like <laughs> Yeah, just... I mean we we can move on yeah. to the the feast of Halloween kids oh, here. Boy. But like yeah. I, I think this one is I will explain why I think Halloween Kills is a much more rewatchable movie than Halloween, even though Halloween is a better movie, right? Yeah. Like, and I, again, of course, I'm just talking about David Gordon Green. I'm not talking about the original. And, yeah, you know, the reason for that is like Halloween does a pretty good job being like, it's not really about Lori. It's about the space. Halloween Kills, even I'll give it the credit of being like, it's really about the house there and like, you know, and people occupying it. But um, Halloween Kills obviously surprised a lot of people off the bat with just the it's existence maximalist <laughs> yeah well first of all like just the nature of kills being underlined so so much of just having a rampage like it, it's something where instead of a stealthy sleek in the shadows kind of ever-present force that we talked about of always being the mo- our favorite part of the original we got somebody who will walk up to a mob and throw down and that's something that makes for like two seconds of oh my god can you believe that he just did that but then subsequent years of did that just ruin that character for me a little bit (laughs) and so that's kind of what i wanted to dissect with y'all is like this is something where michael myers is a tank he takes on a whole brigade of firemen just to start he wasn't killed in the last one and the movie is joyfully silly Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it's a ride and a half and it's definitely something where you're never bored. And I want to equate it kind of like Halloween four or five, where like you can put this on and understand that Michael is just iconography and it's not with a lot of respect to anything that we hold sacred. But as a fun camp experience, I think it's it's worth seeing. I hate intentional camp when it's done poorly. So a lot of this movie just makes me feel eh. But there's also a lot of this movie that thinks it's cool that isn't cool that I enjoy for that reason. Yeah. So it's, um, I, well, the thing is that it's like maybe the reason why it decided to go in this direction because at first I thought they were going like maybe they're going to do like a Halloween to riff because there's a lot of time spent at the, spent at the, hospital. the hospital. Somehow the, the 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 staff has to leave for some stupid reason. And like one leave. of her two shooting locations. It, in this movie. Yeah. It's like, what else did you have going and, on? Jamie you know, Lee? they, they might have, they could have maybe done a, a stripped down Halloween to like semi remake, like in the same way that Halloween 2018 is like the force awakens essentially of the yeah. original. Like this maybe would follow some plot beats of two. Instead, it's kind of like, you know, cherry picking moments from all across the franchise. And I think they're also just kind of like, listen, like this is a franchise about a dude in a mask that's been going on for 40 years, killing people like without adding in like 
crazy supernatural they backstory. They said 40 years way too many. Yeah. <laughs> and it dies tonight, or evil dies tonight. They said it way, yeah. way too much. But it's a franchise that, like, how many directions, like, where else are we to go with this? So I think yeah. maybe they're and just I think, like, we just need to go complete maximalist, kill people in an insane way. And that's what we're just going to get. Like, I've we've already mined this franchise for as much as we could. 2018 is probably the most, like, sensible version of a sequel you could get, in a sense. Like, you know, maybe they could have done some things better. But, like, in terms of, like, actually adding some sort of depth to it. And although Halloween, that's the thing where Halloween Quails I didn't like is when they tried to add this, like, I think their intention was to be like Black Lives Matter, but it came off across like just fucking MAGA riots. Like, because yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis mentions Black Lives Matter a lot in the in the interviews. And then it, you watch the movie, it's like, this is just January 6th. <laughs> like, you've executed this horribly. Yeah, it's yeah. a weird that Haddonfield went red. Yeah, by, the breaking yeah. of the window in the in like in the interior hospital scene when like the door is locked and barricaded and the guy like breaks it and just goes to stick his head through. I was like, that is January yeah. 6th. Yeah, and I think yeah, the, and it, it's much more <laughs> in conversation with that brand of politics nice, good than word. the other. And you know. The thing that I also have a, a bit more of a franchise issue with this one about, you know, we're always going to plug into the horror themes of the day. And, you know, if they want to feel like they're part Jordan Peele, that's their prerogative, even though they aren't at all, is the reverence that they think they have by involving all of these characters <laughs> that were in 1978. Tommy Doyle's yeah. of it all. The Nun, you know. Bob Tom, Odenkirk. <laughs> Marion, Lindsay, Lonnie, everybody who was there, you know, and it even starts off by retconning. The beginning, you know, the end of the last movie that Michael Myers just walked away and then killed a bunch of people or maybe just at least Jim Cummings, who (laughs) makes a weird performance in this, which I love. And then, you know, that's how he gets arrested. And it carries this weight to, you know, Will Patton's character, who was the one who also retconned to be alive because his throat was run over by a car. And now he's throat slash. Don't worry about it. Um, This is this is also definitely the father of. Judy Greer, right? Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> talk about that in, in Halloween Ends. But I think the, the weirdest part is like, okay, why bring all those people in and really instill this sense of like, this was the kid being babysat. This was the nurse there. This was, These were all these people. And then put them in a movie that's nothing like the thing that you're kind of referring to, where they're just fodder for a beatdown scene that should have been set to X, go and give it to you. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was truly just like, it's a weird uprising movie. And I have this complaint sometimes even around certain things, Hunger Games equivalents or even more artistic like Handmaid's Tale, you know, where you have this sense of like, light the fire. It's a revolution. We're channeling into post-Trump America where people are trying to talk about revolution, like taking back sanity and democracy and, you know, whatever that means, you know, and that's what evil dies tonight ends up being is like a Black Lives Matter call. Again, made by seemingly conservative individuals, which makes no sense. But when you have that much closer to lock her up. Yeah. When you when you have that and then you end the movie with the, you know, or you end a season of Handmaids or or a hungry, whatever that is, with just utter terrifying defeat. It's not a cohesive message then. like you can't, you know, like and I get like, oh, yeah, well, you know, 
Last Jedi does this well, where it's like, we got beaten down, but we're, and it was a miserable defeat, but there's a spark of hope. Like, that's acceptable to me. But for this, it's like, evil dies tonight, we're this movement, we're coming together, and then the whole theme of the movie changes on a dime in its final moments to be, never mind, (laughs) evil doesn't die tonight, at least until Halloween ends, and it is just us getting massacred. And that takes all of that political thematic extra textual stuff and just spits on it and throws it away. So it's just (laughs) worthless at that point. The only way this franchise of these three, this trilogy can come back for me from the depths it has gone to, in my opinions, is if, this series ends with a full-on wrestling match of Lori <laughs> and Michael, like doing rock bottoms, stunners. Like I want, I, that's what I need. I want yeah, bodily no, combat. Drop the drop the axe, <laughs> drop the knife, yeah. and like we're just doing the people's elbow. He he takes yeah. the mask off and you don't see him, and she just takes like her glasses off, and I just <laughs> that's what I yeah. want. So because this this movie was fun, but for me, just completely unnecessary. I will say the most surprising element, and this surprised me, is that I remember hearing rumors about those flashback sequences. And I actually found those to be some of the most impressive and kind of delightful oh, yeah. they moments. They looked great. Because they looked great. It felt very much of the era. I mean, I texted you guys. I was like freaking out when Loomis showed up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's amazing am- effects. Amazing, like makeup and Jim Cummings cameo is great. And it's just like, man, it just kind of made me. The thing is that I think I liked it is that it just it felt like such a great like continuation of the original. It just made me want to go back to the world of the original. So it was nice to get these like little flashes. But um, yeah, Howling Kills, the ending, I guess my biggest problem at the end is just, you know, the first one ends, corners Michael in a way where it's like, okay, how does he survive this? I can kind of buy that he escapes that. The ending of this one, it was like- Well, they, they show have you how he escapes. They... The firefighters fucked everything up. <laughs> yeah. Which I, don't, which I guess is now getting some blowback. Yeah, whatever about that. But they have him <laughs> dead to rights. There's like 30 people around him. They've beaten them to the ground. They have guns on him. One woman has an iron in her hand. Like Michael Myers is not getting out of this. And then he just does. It's just like they like wrote yeah. him into a corner and then the screenwriter is like, and then he got out of the problem. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just the whole point of this movie was like he was avoiding the larger groups and yeah. going towards the weaker groups. And then when he's cornered, it's like he is his own deus ex machina. Like, it's not a problem. <laughs> he can just fucking massacre people. And that's why it's like that. that's funny. And that that makes up for something that I'll watch drunk again yeah. for sure. But the whole rest of the movie is building on thematic material that it then insults. Yeah. It's like, that's not the previous movie. That's earlier this movie, you know, and yeah. you can totally shit. You could be a last Jedi and shit on previous movies. And I can respect you a ton for b- taking a swing. But if you are the same writer of that movie <laughs> and say like, you know, all that shit about like, let we stronger together and we're going to come and, and take back the night and evil dies tonight and all that, like, fuck that evil wins like no that's yeah. you're, you're you gotta shat on landing. all of the political yeah. you know like uh, goodwill that you kind of bought up with me trying to tie into these larger extra textual yeah. things by just having michael myers be cool and, and that's just that's worthless i don't know where they're gonna go with the halloween ends which a wrestling match <laughs> i guess a wrestling match i guess that's how you solve it 
And yeah, because it wasn't Laurie versus Michael, which is, yeah. I guess, their favorite fucking thing in the world that they have to do. Yeah, and they and they they hint at so much more, like like Laurie even says, like he's coming for me, and like her daughter's like, no, he's not. He doesn't even know who you are. Like, yeah, he's going to his house, and that they have these like things that they kind of hint at. And see, that's what I thought was kind of interesting in the first one that I was wondering, or in the you know 2018, if they were going to go that way, that she is actually just kind of going insane because they hinted at it or not even hinted at there's a line earlier on where like the kids like hey like four people died in 1978 like why does everyone care about this like what yeah. is going on it's not that yeah. big compare of a deal. that to the body count now it's like yeah. fucking half well the characters yeah. act he's like, like more pe- yeah like more people died probably today in a car accident <laughs> in like the target parking lot yeah. than this guy ever killed and so like i thought they were going to go the route of dealing with the anxiety and depression and trauma that laurie has that's kept her as a recluse for 40 years that she could go back out into the world and then Michael's there and it's terrifying and it becomes more psychological versus like, no, he's actually just like Roman Reigns and he can just jump through everything <laughs> and destroy everyone. Yeah. He's always going to come out on top because Vince McMahon decided that. Yeah. The, or, I mean, David Gordon agreed. The inconsistencies were, cause you mentioned like the, they mentioned like the kids in the first in 2018 say like, Oh, like it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. And that's kind of the the town, like it's sort of the sp- the spooky story people know, but it's not infecting the town. And I think, and that's interesting, you know, that's what yeah. makes one, the original so good is that you kind of don't know who believes it, who's not really that yeah. into it. And it's someone saying like, hey, I think there's a guy across the street and people being like, that's eh, not that big yeah. of a deal. And then in this one, Anthony Michael Hall just takes the microphone and just kills the mood of this Halloween party. He's like... At first, I thought he was going to, like, make it a joke. He's the guy that's like, I went through this, but, like, I'm fine now. And like, I'm going to make, I tell this scary story every Halloween is, like, a fun thing. But he's, like, dead serious, like, you know, like, evil is out there. I faced it. And everyone in the bar, if I was in that bar, I'd be like, all right, dude, whatever, man. Like, it's fucking Halloween. Like, yeah, there goes that guy. <laughs> yeah. you know, and everybody buys in real quick. And, you know, it's. it's just disappointing to have those kind of manhunt sequences just be, like, a player versus player kind of experience because the the one thing that works for me and I know, you know, the joke or I sometimes complain is like, oh, Michael Myers is homophobic, which I, you know, I think some of it was handled in a, in a, you know, out oh, of yeah. touch way. Big John yeah. and Little John, I love them. Big John and Little John, I did like how it relates to my favorite parts of like how the best friends die in the original Halloween where it's like, these are two people we grow to like who are lived in characters they are too much caricature. They are, again, sometimes presented in a way that's a little tasteless, but, you know, by and large, likable characters and just experience like a horrific home invasion style Michael Myers experience because they were in the wrong house. And that feels scary. Like, that's the only part of this movie that feels upsetting, you know, is because we learn to love those characters. We see them in this environment. We have this kind of presentationalist style kill, like the, you know, putting on of the ghost sheet or putting the tombstone on, you know, reenacting the photo. And, you know, that's something that lingers with you much more than like killing the woman with the iron in rapid succession with the guy with the gun and the guy with the bat. Like it's it's about that sense of you feel like you're having a nice cocktail with your husband and bang. There could be a knock at the door and a minute later you could both be entering this whole new world of darkness. Like that was the little vignette to me that wasn't perfect, but was like hinting at the right idea that still understood like what makes that character powerful. Yeah, I I just think this one 
you know, like like we're saying, it just it was brutal, but it just wasn't actually scary. Like I, I go to a Halloween movie to be scared of the boogeyman, not like, well, cool. If he breaks my door down, I'm fucking dead. So I'm not even <laughs> that scared. Like there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And I, I didn't see it in the theater. Jamie and I watched it on hashtag Peacock. And, you know, it, it became that you were rooting for him. And that's that's tough. Like, I, you know, I, I think the measure of any good horror movie is if you have a lovable villain, but you still are able to root for the people that you should be rooting for. Yeah. Um, that's like when you're succeeding. And this was just we know what you want. We want you to be like, yeah, Michael, give it to him. We liked when you slapped that desert eagle into that woman's face and it went off. You know, like that, which you can always have a sprinkle of that. But if it's the whole movie, then you're losing what makes this a horror movie and you're making it just like a snuff comedy, which yeah. is very bizarre. And we have to analyze ourselves as a species. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And I mean, all that being said, like I still enjoy enjoyed the movie, but I definitely it felt like it was a step away from what I like about the series in general and you know going into the final Halloween ends I mean it's just sort of like the franchise has been wrung dry the 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 udder has been milked quite a few times like how many more drops can we get out of this before we just have to kind of like let it hibernate for a bit or whatever like I I love Michael Myers I love that there are still Halloween movies and I'll still watch however many there will be but it gets to a point where it's like it just becomes unwieldy. It's like a Jenga set. You know, there's only so many how high or how many pieces you can add on or take away before. It's just like this thing's kind of collapsing under its own weight. <laughs> yeah. And I think going back to what you said earlier, Jamie, I was also most interested by some of these flashback moments that felt like even though they're flashbacks, that felt like the freshest thing this franchise had done in a long time. Yeah. And that could be some sort of route if they wanted to go into more of an investigative route. You have police officers trying to understand what's going on on that night or some one of these other nights in the franchise that I think could be interesting. Courtroom drama about the the, <laughs> the bullet. Who shot him? Who shot <laughs> but it's yeah. like, you know, the, the first one had funny moments, but Michael was never in on the joke or or purposely understanding it. He He was trying to decide how to kill people because that was his drive and desire but these were just the simplest methods for him to get from a to b yeah and you have like moments with the sheet and bob's glasses that sure as a still frame are funny but within the movie they're pretty terrifying yeah that they still just kind of work yeah and the characters might be laughing but the viewers certainly are not the first time you know yeah and michael has that head tilt (laughs) and it's not a moment that we're not along with Michael on that. We're going, oh, we really don't understand him. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a dog. <laughs> yeah. His head because he's curious. Halloween Kills is the, the freshest entry in the franchise. So we spent a lot of time on it, even though this episode is kind of about the series, but kind of about the original. But is there anything we, we want? We know a lot of you are going to be watching this. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll lengthen spill it. Spill our guts. But um, I mean, Pun intended. just to go back to the original, I mean, it is a classic. It's top tier mount rushmore horror movie that has stood the test of time and you know several entries later it's still continuing i love it for so many like we reasons we talked about another thing just uh connecting to the idea of growing up and the idea of like michael myers being like the urban legend in your town or something like that like i don't know if you guys had like certain things in your town or like where you grew up like some story like we had a neighbor who had all these gargoyles and like mowed the lawn with his shirt off a lot and it was always 
he was also German and it was always like, is he a secret Nazi or something? And like, I like the idea of like the Myers house kind of connecting to all these stories that you grow up with. And this is just like one of those stories. Like, and when I mentioned back, it was like a generic story, you know, it's generic only because we all kind of have this experience of like something in your town or where you grew up, like some sort of urban legend that you are yeah. connected generic with. Generic is a mean way of saying universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, my middle school janitor was a serial killer. Yeah. So. And I remember when it was happening. He to, knew how to clean up those, yeah. to those do, uh, crime scenes. <laughs> to do a long, a long hook back into the Halloween franchise. When it was happening was when Gus Van Zandt had remade Psycho. <laughs> Mm. Not starring Janet Lee, but <laughs> yeah, a little bit of Vince. <laughs> but I remember uh, actually the same friend's older brother who I've talked about multiple times on this show who introduced Why me. Why don't you many... shoot him? Shout him out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris, yeah. Chris Peterson, if you're out there listening, <laughs> uh, let, me, let me know. Let me know where you ended up. Yeah, but uh, still in he, that basement. Yeah. yeah, I was still playing, still playing Sonic, watching VHS horror movies. <laughs> but he was like, "Hey, there's a there's a serial killer in your neighborhood," and I'm like, "I don't know what that is," and that set me off on it dark path to understand yeah so my neighbor probably was not a nazi that was probably a mean thing when i was a kid (laughs) although he was a mean guy so you know he was an entirely he was an entirely innocent (laughs) he was an entirely innocent was i'm saying but and and, you know i think we're all kind of just realizing you they had lightning in a bottle in this first one it created so many iconic things like the sitting up moments the appearing disappearing moments the different stabbings and jump scares that really you can't just try to recreate this you really need to say something or else you fall into the trap of either trying to make shit up with four <laughs> five and six or or you just go full brutal like halloween kills is now yeah it, it, i i don't have a better pitch and that's why i'm not trying and halloween ends will hopefully end on a, a note that makes us feel at least fulfilled for Jamie Lee Curtis, just, you know, being a fan of hers professionally, like that will be fun, you know, but I think going back, watching this original on Halloween night, it's really a matter of watching it, kind of letting yourself put your guard down and not thinking of tropes and not thinking of the pantheon of horror that kind of descends from the Zeus of this movie. You know, it's it's really about looking at it under the context of it being a psychodrama or it being kind of like a Hitchcock movie and trying to let your guard down a little bit more and, and not get ahead of it and, and relate it to things that become hackneyed later. Like, and then it's really just an enjoyable new, fresher way to kind of let it soak over you. And, you know, the music, the, the, the cinematography, the way that there's, they're generating performances that, Sadly, is one of those things that isn't a carryover into the 80s where you actually have lived in performances and people who talk like people. You know, it's it's something that can really cast a spell even on its 10th, 15th, 20th watch. So this is 31 for 31. If this is your 31st time watching our 31st pick, you know, that's all well and good, but it's still worth throwing up and getting even something more out of, you know, and maybe check out some of the sequels if you want some texture in the background, too. But we'll be... Uh, We'll be definitely partying up on Halloween weekend where we're recording before. And we hope you've had a beautiful October season with us. We've got one more in store for you just as a little bit of a palate cleanser to take you into Thanksgiving or whatever tomorrow to dissect a little bit more on the list in general. Now that all the advent calendar, you know, squares have been flipped, but 
yeah, we'll be we'll be saying, you know, our reflective thoughts and our thank yous then. But just getting ahead of it. Happy to be celebrating the holiest of holy days with you today. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember the rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember the rules. It, it, you know, Sam grows up and turns into Michael Myers in in our version of events. So it all is connected and everything matters with Saweed. So thank you so much. We've really enjoyed being able to dive into our picks. And tomorrow we'll talk maybe a little bit more about what didn't make the list and, you know, maybe the future and what we want to think about in terms of stuff that you can pepper on in outside of these picks and maybe deserve to be better on their own or own little mini series you can digest, other things that we were ruminating on that didn't quite make this cut. But we're pretty damn proud of this list. So uh, anybody, again, we'll see you on the streets if you've got <laughs> issues. But we'd love to hear your thoughts, too. You know, now that you know everything, be free to you know reach out on social. And we love chatting. Your guesses on the hints, you know, all of those kind of things every day. So be sure to, to reach out with what you liked, what you were disappointed by or wanted to see. And, and you know, that's something we'll be grappling with. Uh, Make but, your own podcast. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but we, we love just thinking about what, you know, different permutations. And hey, this is 2021. There's a lot of different Halloweens to come. Michael Myers knows that better than anyone. So uh, thanks for listening today. Happy Halloween. It feels good to say that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What are you guys dressing up as to cap it off? Mm. I'm going to be the log lady from Twin Peaks. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous. And, and I have a, I have a log that has a like drawer hidden inside of it that you can open it up that I'm going to fill with things my log is going to say to people. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Jamie? Uh, I don't have it exactly yet. I did pitch um, myself as Armand from The White Lotus and my girlfriend as someone's ass. <laughs> Beautiful. Not, <costume. laughs> so did not go for that. So we'll see. I'm shaving the beard and I'm growing out the mullet and I'm trying to pull off a Jamie Seinfeld or Jamie Seinfeld. That's it. Jerry Seinfeld in <laughs> a lane. Okay. So. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, I can always anyway. be, I can shave my head and be George if I need to. Of course. Yeah. Well, if anyone was at syndicated last night, sorry for my behavior with Jamie. I, we're recording before the 30th, but that's our <laughs> night we're going out. So yeah. nice. we saw you there. Beautiful. But happy Halloween again. We look forward to hearing from you. And, uh, you know, our uh, our friendship doesn't stop. It's been a you journey. Know, of course, the three of us. But, you know, our friendship with those of you who are listening doesn't stop with the 31st. So we're going to keep it rolling and talk about, uh, you know, we'll figure out the future later. I think we need a break, but we'll be back tomorrow to uh, help you off ramp a little bit on yeah. uh, this crazy daily experience we've been having. <laughs> thanks for listening. Perfect. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks again. for listening. Happy thanks, Halloween. Jamie, for making this a thing. <laughs> Woo. Woo. I was going to say Michael Myers might die from COVID in the next one, but he always wears a mask. Whoa. (laughs)